Good morning. Glad to see so many people here. I know this doesn't look like so many, but when I got here, I thought there was going to be about a dozen of us. So this feels, feels pretty large. Um, quick question. Okay, otherwise I was going to hit Jeff with a, yet another request this morning. All right. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. Uh, we are going to read uh, verse 8 to 5-1 and then jump in. Give you a chance to turn if you choose. And I would encourage you to do so. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you. Because I'm become as I am, for I also became as you are. You did me no wrong. You know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem, but Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren ones who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than of those, those of the one who has a husband. Now, brothers, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time 
he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Next slide. Okay, as Rick mentioned, and I don't blame you if you're going, uh, okay, that's fascinating, historically interesting. What does that have to do with me now, Beijing, going into 2017? Fair question. So let's take a look at the historical backdrop. Um, this is my third sermon, uh, and it's been spread over about a year, so if you don't remember the first two, I don't blame you, okay? So, law, okay, question. This was a burning question, which you've probably never seriously considered, which is, as a Christian, do I need to follow the Mosaic law? Anybody stay up late at night pondering this question? Chirp, 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 chirp. Nobody, really. You're sleeping well on this one. Good. You should. It means, among other things, you've probably read Acts 15, where they answered this question rather convincingly. And the fact that Acts 15, Paul doesn't mention this decision, the Jerusalem council, all the elders, James, half-brother of Jesus, Peter, Paul, they get together, they hash it out, and they go, Gentiles, that's like everybody but Deborah Capron, because she's part Jewish, we found that out in an earlier sermon, okay, all the rest of us, this is really good news, okay? No Mosaic law to be a Christian. But if the Jerusalem council had happened, all Paul would have had to do was say, hey, look, we answered that question, and he doesn't. So this suggests that this book, it was written before the Jerusalem Council, which means we're talking about 45 AD. Now, there are some of you that will go off to college in another five, six, seven, eight years, and your parents are going, okay. And if you haven't heard it before you get there, you're going to hear this idea that all of the New Testament oh, was all late. They didn't really think Jesus was God early. Um, they just, that was... Council of Nicaea, they just made up a garbage. Or they'll tell you, well, all of these books were written post-100 AD, long at garbage, okay? There's good evidence. There's two dates proposed for Galatians, but there's reasonable evidence that it was written about 45 AD. So this is one of the earliest books in our New Testament, okay? But what about these people? Where are they? Okay, they're Galatians. You've got a mixed Jewish-Gentile church Paul comes in, he gets stopped because of an illness. Uh, talks about, in another place, Paul talks about an, a, a thorn in his flesh. And tons of different theories, not really clear. One that makes sense to me, don't need to base a doctrine on it, but that we get some evidence here is he had an eye problem. Now, it might have been a one-off thing, or it might have had some permanent implications. I believe it's Romans he ends saying, see, I've written with such large letters. Okay, if he's got an eye problem and he can't see clearly, well, he might have had it when he met the Galatians, okay? And hence the reason why they would have gouged out their eyes to give it, I mean, not that that surgery was available, but the offer, okay? But these Galatians, Paul comes through, preaches the gospel, and then these people called Judaizers come in behind him and say, yeah, 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 Jesus is great, but we got to add something to it. 
And in their case, it was Jesus plus ceremonial law. And there would have been both internal and external pressure to make this, this appealing. Internal pressure, if you're a Jew, your Jewish relatives start seeing you hanging out with Gentiles, <gasps> forbidden, eating pork, even worse. Okay, you're going to get this pressure to, hey, wait, wait, come, wait, what are you doing? Come back in. And so somebody comes along and says, hey, keep the ceremonial law. And you go, oh, okay, I, I don't have to be less Jewish or I must be not less Jewish. And so there would have been a pressure to kind of pull in, but there would have also been an external pressure. Rome at this time has been under the Caesars since before the birth of Christ. And when Julius Caesar died and his adopted son, his actual nephew, Augustus, ruled for 50-something years, he deified his, his adopted father. And then Augustus dies and his adopted son and, and so on. And it was used as a loyalty test. Every year you go to the temple, you worship the genius, this, this idea of the spirit of Caesar, and you pay your temple tax and, hey, you're a good Roman citizen for a year. And you even got a piece of paper that said you are officially stamped as a good Roman citizen. Now, you can imagine Jews aren't going to worship anybody else as God other than God. They're kind of persnickety on this. And somewhere under the reign of Claudius, so 45 to 41 to 54, somewhere in there, Claudius gives the Jews an exemption. Okay, you crazy monotheists, we respect you, and we know if we push too hard, we're just going to get riots and violence, so you guys are out. Everybody else still has to do the temple tax thing. Well, while Christians are the way, and they are visibly Jewish, they get the exemption. As Christianity expands, becomes much more Gentile, it, it is explicitly stated that Christianity is not covered under this exemption. So you have this internal pressure to be more Jewish, and you have this external pressure because, hey, maybe if I add this you know, Jewish law sprinkles on me, I'll still look Jewish, and then I don't have to go worship Caesar. Okay, so they have this internal and external pressure, and Paul is going nuts. You read the intro to all the other Pauline letters, and it doesn't matter how messed up they are, you know, my brothers, whatever, and Paul goes, what are you thinking? Okay. Next slide. So in Galatians 1 and 2, we answer the question, which gospel? And Paul's pretty adamant, there isn't another one, okay? You don't get gospel choice, spin the wheel, pick a gospel. No, no, there is one gospel, and it's the same gospel for Jews and Greeks. It is faith in Christ, not law-keeping, full stop. And that was a radical concept, and we'll revisit that, okay? Next slide. Then in Galatians 3... We, we talked about how are you righteous, okay? Christ was crucified. Those of us who've grown up in the church, this idea doesn't smack us as hard as it should. For those of you, especially if you're an, alt, an adult convert that didn't come out of a Christian background, this one's gonna, this one would have struck you. you said, whoa, whoa, time out. God died? Okay, really, that is a radical concept. And Paul says, look, Christ died. 
So there must have been a problem that the Old Testament law couldn't fix, and Christ addressed that problem. And the, law, the problem is the law cannot make you righteous. You're righteous like Abraham, which puts us in this continuity. It's one story. It's one plan, righteous by faith. The Old Testament, it was unclear. The New Testament, it's been made clear. In the Old Testament, the law embodied the moral law, and it showed them what it being like, and now Christ has come. It was intended to point to Christ. You've got Christ. You don't need the old law. I recommend the book of Hebrews if you want to unpack that more fully. Christ was cursed for us. He took on the curse for us so that his righteousness could be given to us. Then answers the question, why law? We'll deal with that in a second. And then you are heirs. You were slaves. You were under a slave. Being under the law is like being under a slave. You had a house servant that managed the house. He's slave when you become an adult. This person will be your property, but right now, this slave tells you what to do. That's the law. When you're under the law, the law tells you what to do. But you're adopted as an heir. At a point in time, the head of the family would say, my son, you are an adult. And yesterday, the guardian told you what to do, and today, the guardian works for you. It's a reversal. You are heir. You are adopted. And Roman adoption, which is the image, is permanent. You could disown a son. If you had a total scoundrel for a son, you could take a slave and promote them and make them your son. And then we could never be disowned. They always had a guaranteed place in the inheritance of the family. And you have been adopted as heirs. It cannot be undone. That's the image. But then the question is, so why law? Okay, next slide. Okay. Ooh, thank you. All right. The law has three functions. It is our teacher, civil, so teaching you. So you ask the question, um, what is it like to love my neighbor? Don't steal his stuff. Don't steal his wife. Okay. What does it look like to love God? Okay, it has this teaching function. It has a civil function. Law is good to restrain fallen man in a fallen world. And it has a moral function. What does loving your neighbor look like? So some people combine teaching and the moral law. And the Old Testament law contained the moral law. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does it look like to do this? The Old Testament law gave us examples. But you may recall, I pulled out my wrench. Okay, it's a good wrench, excellent German design. But this is not a microphone. Remember, those of you here, they muted the mic and I tried to talk to it and you couldn't hear anything I said. So I threw it down and I stepped on, boom, boom, boom. Okay, because it's a lousy microphone. You're right, it's a lousy microphone. It's not intended to be a microphone. The law has those functions. You'll notice making you righteous is nowhere on that. So that is the backdrop of the law. Okay, so now, next slide. Okay. Slaves freed. Slaves again? Paul is he's going, what are you thinking? You were slaves. In Christ you got freedom. What are you going back there for? Christ rescued you from that. Why are you going back there? 
answers the question, how are we blessed and how blessed we are? Next slide. Slaves freed, slaves again? Okay. So you're a child. You're under the Roman guardian. Okay, your parents' house slave that runs things. Okay. Then you get adopted. Or you were a slave and you're adopted. Before you were property, you're adopted. You cannot be unadopted. Yesterday, when he said go, you went. When he says come, you come. And today, this man that owns you puts a robe on you and he calls you son. Okay, Rome was a very chauvinistic society, so I'm not saying daughter, but my sisters. When you come to Christ, you are adopted. You are daughters, you are princesses. You're adopted into the kingdom. Why would we ever go from adoption and say, hey, slavery sounds really cool. Uh, there is a long, broad section of my country's history of, of chattel slavery, which is even worse than the, the, the slavery that we have in Rome, where people were... It's horrible. And uh, our president at the time, Abraham Lincoln, asked the question, was the destruction of our own civil war God's punishment uh, for it? So just consider some of that imagery and then ask yourself, why would I ever choose to go back to that? Having been freed, why would I ever choose that? So where am I getting that out of this passage? Well, you saw the section about days and months and seasons and years. In the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, the Lord instituted three major holidays coinciding with the, the, the seasons of the year. And these were the appointed means of grace for those people at that time. But we're in Christ. Those are not for us now. And it is fine to have Christmas, and it is fine to have Easter. But showing up here on Christmas Day is not a means of grace. You know, you don't get points. Oh, check the little star in your Sunday school book. Okay? And that's what Paul is, is, is driving at is you think to his audience that by sacrificing on this day or showing up for this particular uh, event, you're making God happy with you. Now, I think it's pretty easy to look back at the Old Testament and go, those foolish Israelites, um, and really deceive ourselves, okay? Those of us who come from a, a country with a Christian background, what are the two most attended days of church service? Bang, everybody knows, Christmas and Easter. Okay, why do people show up on those days? Okay, those are the two most important days in the calendar. Okay, and they are important for what we celebrate, but they are not means of grace. You do not merit God's favor because you showed up on that particular Sunday. And this Sunday is not more holy than Monday. Okay, it's, it provides structure and order, but it's not meritorious. So the question for us might be, what are we doing 
to gain God's approval. So let's pull it out of months and days and how you properly sacrifice uh, you know, a, a sheep and ask, Jesus plus what? In your life, when you look at God and ponder his view of you, I bet you're prone to Jesus plus something. And that is the natural order. He talked about the, the, the natural way of the world. What is the natural way of the world? I do stuff and God likes me. Name any other religion in the world and you boil it down and I do list of approved activities, whatever their version of God is, likes me. That is natural religion. And Christianity is very unnatural. In the early Roman world, they called it atheism because it was so unlike anything they had. They didn't even think these people believed in God because they had no object, no physical object of worship. Okay? So, you know God. I, I'm going out on a limb that most everybody in this room has made a profession of faith. That may not be reasonable. And if you haven't, I invite you to step out of slavery and into faith of Christ. But for those of us who have made that profession, how offensive is it to God to say, all this freedom you've given me, freedom to obey you, to delight in you, I was more comfortable over there. I'd like to go back to slavery, please. Next slide. How are we blessed? The people in Galatia were blessed by a broken messenger. Paul came to them. He didn't even tend to stop there is kind of the way it reads. Had something, some physical ailment. I'm guessing it's something wrong with his eyes, maybe an infection. And he got stuck there. And he was zealous for their blessing. But think about the relationship. It was so deep that Paul is confident he can say, you would have plucked out your eye and given it to me in my ailment. Okay? Is there anybody in your life that you would literally choose blindness to give them sight? Ponder that. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a real option back then for them. Maybe in 20 years it will be if it's not already for us. But who would you give up your sight for? That's how deep this relationship was between the Galatians and Paul and these, uh, these Judaizers. They're wedging themselves in. They're tearing down Paul. So imagine Paul's grief. I brought you this great message. We had this great relationship, and these guys are coming in. And it's, it's not just that they're driving a wedge between uh, Paul and the Galatians. It's they're driving the Galatians away from this glorious message of Christ. And they were accepting the temptation. They were going, okay, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that's better than just Christ. So like I was saying earlier, you know, none of you are, 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 are going, man, I would love to be under the Jewish law. I would love to have to offer sacrifices every year. Man, where can I get my hand on a dove that I can rip it apart and, you know, and grain offering and peace offering? But I bet, just looking at my own heart, that you're prone to try and add something to Jesus. 
Paul was zealous for the blessing of his people, of these people that he had, he had stopped and he shared his life in the gospel with. And he was zealous that nobody else, by making much of them, would make less of Christ and steal their blessing. Next slide. How blessed we are. Under the law, we are in slavery. Whether you are Jew under the Jewish law or you are some other flavor of, I do this to please God. Your reality is you are a slave to what you obey. And we will all make ourselves slaves of something. Slavery is natural, not in a legal sense, but we will choose to enslave ourselves to something. And freedom is unnatural. It's under promise. And so he pulls up this, this analogy. And uh, analogies are uh, allegories are, are, are potentially dangerous. Uh, there was a lot of damage done in interpretation of Scripture over, thousand, over well over a thousand years as the church engaged in allegorical interpretation. Because the danger is you can make something mean anything. Um, but if we look at the example here, it's, it's, not, it's not unreasonable. Okay, remember back in Galatians, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael by Hagar and Isaac by Sarah. Ishmael was the natural solution. Hey, I don't have a kid. Sarah says, here's my servant, let's use her. And lo and behold, they have a kid. And God said, that was not the plan. I mean, I'll bless him for, for your sake, but he's not going to inherit the promise. The promise is, you old man, you old woman will have a son. It's not natural. It was a miracle. Being right with God is not natural. It's a miracle. It's a promise. It's not, you do this and I will love you. It's, I have done this because I have loved you. So Hagar has a child, Ishmael. It's out of the line of promise. Sinai, the mountain that she is compared to, is outside the promised land. And then he compares it to the Jerusalem now. Jews often pointed to Jerusalem and said, look, we've got Jerusalem, we've got the temple, we can't possibly get invaded and crushed and sent off into exile. If you read Second Kings and Chronicles, they disobey, they get crushed, and they get sent off into exile. The physical Jerusalem is not protection. The promise is that you are grafted into the Jerusalem above. You are a child of promise. Sarah in her old age, she has a child. Heavenly Jerusalem isn't heaven. It's Christ in us, Galatians 4.4. 4. And a reminder that not all physical Israel is Israel. We see that in the Old Testament. Um, Elisha, after defeating the prophets of Baal, he goes to God and says, look, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, 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 no. I've got 7,000 who have not bent knee to Baal. It's not physical Israel that's Israel. 
It's spiritual Israel. And when you come to Christ, it doesn't matter if you're one of the few people here like Deborah that actually has Jewish ancestry or you're like the rest of us that are some mix of Gentile. Okay. Application, next slide. How do I share in our fallen condition? I forget how just leave you slack-jawed in awe, good the gospel is. It really is good news. The freedom the gospel gives us is the freedom to obey in joy. And this is not how we usually use the word freedom. I would rather just know what I'm supposed to do and do it. There's a, a spiritual laziness in me. Just tell me what to do. I resent my spiritual poverty. What do I bring? I resent my spiritual poverty. What do I get to bring to contribute to my salvation? My sin. Because Jesus came to save sinners. Great. That's my contribution. I'd really like it to be something else, but that's what I bring. And I fear that the gospel of Jesus plus nothing, isn't that really going to lead to more sin and lawlessness? This is, this is an area of unbelief in my life. And so I want to invite you to ask yourself the question, are you in any of that? And how might Paul be addressing that in your life? And saying, really, it's, it's Jesus plus nothing. And take a minute to ask and answer the question, what am I putting in place of nothing in that formula? And confess it to God and ask that he would allow you to, to end that and really walk in the freedom. Okay? Let me pray for us, and then we'll have the band come up for one last song. From the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.